Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. You can find episode show notes, past episode archives, and listener discussions at our website, thenexttrack.com. And in between episodes, follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. One of the things I wanted to tell our guest, Chris Conacher, we haven't talked to him in six months, and he, of course, is the proprietor of Audiophile Style and Superphonica, and in my neck of the woods, your last name would be pronounced like the camera, Conica, right? Hey, Chris Conica, how's your mother, you know? <laughs> so when I hear Superphonica and Chris Conica, I want to I wanna do a rap. I love it. That's awesome. But I'm... But I'm not going to do that because we've kind of deformalized the whole introduction thing. So for those of you who don't know, Chris Conacher is the proprietor of Audiophile Style and Superphonica. And we love to have him on to talk about high-end audio. Now, regardless of how you feel about audiophile audio, I always like to know what's on the cutting edge, what's happening, what are audiophiles into, because eventually this stuff trickles down to the consumer level of audio equipment, which is where I'm doomed to languish for the rest of my life. Anyway, Chris Conacher, it's great to have you with us. Great to see you. It's great to be back. I'm so happy the podcast is back. Well, thanks. Yes, it was. I was surprised to see it go away, and I was saddened, but I'm happy now. Well, as, as I said before the show, we needed some time apart, and <laughs> we resolved our issues. Actually, it wasn't even that. We just got tired for a while, and then we realized how much we missed doing the podcast. But we have moved to fortnightly, at least temporarily, because it's the summer. There aren't necessarily a lot of things to talk about. We are recording this on June 3rd, which is the day that Tim Cook will get up on stage and present the latest Apple things. We will know about the future of iTunes today. We've already speculated about that a couple of times on the podcast. So when you hear this podcast, when it's released Wednesday or later, you'll know things that we don't know already. That's interesting. But we're not going to talk about what we don't know. No, we're only going to talk about what we know. So, Chris, what's new? You were in Munich for the high-end audio show. What is it called, Munich High-End? Yeah, it's just called Munich High-End or High-End Munich. And it is the best show in the world, without question. And this year, there was 551 exhibitors from 42 countries, 21,180 visitors total. 8,200 of those were from the trade. And there wasn't room for another vendor to fit in the place. They said it's totally packed. Just a quick question. You're reading that. Oh, right? gosh, I'm totally reading that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, which brings me to another reason why Munich is so good is the people who run the show send out all this information, bold letters right at the top. It's They are so good, too. They make the show run so smooth. Okay, so... What did you say, 882 vendors? Uh, no, f let's see, 551 exhibitors, 8,200 trade visitors, because the first day of the show is trade only, uh, 2,100 visitors in total. So about 13,000. Oh, wait, I said 21,000. Yeah, about 13,000 visitors are consumers, 8,000 are trade. Okay, so out of 551 vendors, how many of them simply had Bluetooth headphones? Uh 499. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted to know, actually, because, you know, everybody's talking about smart speakers and stuff, and how much has the, smart, how much has the voice technology reached into uh, this high-end stuff? Oh, I had a great conversation with a manufacturer who's working on that right now. One of the things that people are talking about, though, is 
with the hi-fi system a lot of people don't want to integrate with amazon or google they just don't want yeah. you know big data to be involved in their listening experience so there's another company called josh.ai that people are looking at integrating with or seeing how they can work with them and other of other companies have already done that so that could be promising i've been talking to them via email and trying to get something in to write about but that looks pretty cool but most manufacturers are just trying to figure out you know if they're going to do voice okay how do we just take something from amazon or something from google and plug it into our system because obviously reinventing that wheel cost billions and nobody's got that money and users are familiar with Amazon and Google. And unfortunately, Apple's not licensing their system to anyone else, and they probably never will. Although although we didn't expect Apple Music on Android and, you know, iTunes on Windows, so they might actually do that. What is it that, that what is it, Josh AI is, yes. is trying to do? What is, do you know specifically? So I believe Josh.ai is coming up with their own thing. It's like their own voice control their own it's you know take what amazon's done take what google has done and they're trying to do their own i don't believe they're licensing it from anybody i could be wrong but it doesn't seem to send your information back to the mothership and they're not trying to sell you toilet paper yeah so it's it's kind of cool it's you know it's your audio experience is your audio experience so i've just gone to their website and it starts out with this pan and there's a text that says, sophisticated AI for the luxury home. Mm. Yes, yes. The high-end feel. The, the website's nice. It, it is. looks cool. Nice. The little video looks yeah. cool. And it's, you know, the the whole voice control, everything, it's so it got zero to do with actual audio in terms of Amazon and Google. It's all about everything else. But how do you get it into their house? Audio, you know? So it, it's cool to see another company do this. But, but you get it into their house audio. You're talking about the Amazon Echo or the Google Home. or And that's not audio. That's noise through a speaker. That's not, <laughs> that's not, there's no quality there. I'm with you 100%. Totally. Um, I, I don't know if you noticed there was a, a Google outage yesterday, Google Cloud. It was evening my time. I was noticing I wasn't getting email. And I noticed on Twitter some people were saying, okay, my Google cloud whatever thermostat i can't turn my air conditioning on Ooh, right and that really worries me about all this smart home stuff i don't want to trust my climate control to the fact that the internet's going to be down <laughs> hey in minneapolis it was minus 28 fahrenheit this winter yeah. i'm not leaving that up to google yeah i'm i don't even you know i use siri sometimes if i'm in the kitchen and i need to set a reminder check the oven in 10 minutes i'll say that to my apple watch or I'll say to add something to my um, shopping list, but I really don't use Siri for anything else. I, I just don't, I, I'm not convinced. This stuff never works for me. And and it's just not, uh, the idea of having it on a speaker, which I do, I've got a pair of HomePods in the bedroom. I've got a new Sonos amp in the office. I've got a Sonos one in the kitchen. I could have these things and I'm just not even interested. One of the things that I always thought was ironic was um, when, dictation commands were added to the Mac. They had a thing where you could use voice activation to fire scripts and things like that. I forgot what it's called. And it works great, except when you've got iTunes running, you've got to turn it off so that the so that it can hear you. So if you wanted to use voice commands for iTunes, you have to go to your computer, pause iTunes, and then do whatever you need to do to speak to, you know, to speak to Siri, I guess. 
and it's just kind of dumb. It's like, well, what's the whole point of having voice command for audio if you have to shut the audio off manually and then just do, you might as well just do what you wanted it to do manually. Well, one of the amazing things about the HomePod is you can have it playing at full volume and you can talk to it at a normal level. You can say the, hey, lady, and it will drop the volume and listen to you. It's really quite impressive how it does that. I get, but I wonder, do we really want to use voice control with audio? I mean, is that really what anybody wants to do? So that brings up, I was going to touch on that, because when it comes to audiophiles, music aficionados, we want what we want usually very specific. Like if I say, play Miles Davis Kind of Blue, I have 10 of those albums. There's one that I like the best. Can you, you know, play the HD tracks version 24192 remastered in 2013 or whatever year it was? Mono. Yes. Yeah. So, so far, it's just, it's not, it's not there. You know, I'm not going to be able to tell Google, Amazon, here's exactly what I want. And don't come back with questions. I just want to tell it. By that time, I've already clicked my iPad and being, I'm listening. Exactly. And and add to that, whenever you try to pronounce a foreign name, either you pronounce it correctly, let's say I want to hear Berlioz. Well, it's not going to understand it because I'm pronouncing it correctly. If I say Berlioz, will it understand it? <laughs> Berlioz. It's Berlioz, like the breakfast cereal. No, but the, the, the point is that these pronunciations are really problematic. I want to listen to the latest recording by I Know You, Honey, Rautavara. And, you know, the, the digital <laughs> assistant is going to say, huh? Yeah. So as in your travels then at these shows, you haven't seen anything where they're going to actually install a Bluetooth transponder at the base of your skull so that when you think of something, it will <laughs> pick the correct thing. Oh, I wish. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what are the, what are the trends? You know, we've talked in the past about high-resolution audio, and it's fair to say that high-resolution audio has become the norm for audiophiles. Up to 96K, 192K, 384. They're going to keep going up to like, you know, giga K or whatever. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. What are the, what are the new trends in audio? Have, has that plateaued or are there new things coming in? You know, it does seem like it has plateaued for most people. Now that we have Cobas in the U.S., people are streaming 24192. And I don't see many people asking for more. Like... Oh, where's the 32358 version? I think people are finally, you know, coming to reality. When all we had was 1644, it was, yeah. oh, yes, we want more, we want more. Yeah. Now that we're getting 24192, and if that's what it was recorded in, that's the master, there's nothing better. You, you can't yeah. improve on the original. Oh, but what about all these devices that play back music upsampling it because they say that it's better when it's upsampled? Oh, that is a totally valid thing. Okay. And there's very good technical reasons for it. Every DAC chip that you use now upsamples internally on right. the chip. Most people don't know. So if you're thinking, okay, I'm going to upsample before the chip. Okay. You're just doing a different style of upsampling. It's a very valid technical thing to do. Do you want to explain what, what upsampling is just so that people understand the difference? Yeah, sure. So if I'm playing a 24-bit, 44-1 track like the new Lady Gaga, and I can change the 44-1 into something like 88-2 or 176-4 or 192 sampling rate, which allows the filtering in the DACs to act much different than at 44-1. So, so when we talk about upsampling, most people are talking about 
doing it outside of the DAC, where traditionally it all happens inside the DAC and people don't even know about it. So very valid concept. Okay. I didn't realize that. I thought it was just a gimmick because if you're subsampling from 44.1 to 88.2, you're just putting two samples every place where there was one before. But I guess as the DAC is doing its work, that extra sample means that it's kind of smoothing between samples, right? And when it comes to filtering, it's it's a huge, huge difference. Okay. Is it like like anti-aliasing a, 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 an extra large image or something like that? I mean, it it's more of getting rid of brick wall filtering. It it can get ex so so extremely technical that it's boring as hell. But it's it's really it's a valid thing, and it's something that a lot of people are doing now. So it's it's kind of cool. I used to think you can't get something from nothing. I'm not going to get high exactly, res from low yeah. res. Right. But in terms of how it actually sounds, yes, it's very different. So it just applies more processing to the double size file. Yeah. Okay, so we need to address something really important, and I found out something about Chris on Twitter recently. Chris, have you gotten any first flush Darjeelings yet this year? Oh, well, you know, I prefer second flush, to be honest. Oh, really? Yes, Oh, yes. I'm a first flush guy. Oh. So Chris and I are both T-snobs, and we didn't know this, and he mentioned a thing on Twitter. First flush Darjeeling is the first harvest in spring where they pick the bud in the first two leaves and i love the first flush they have this sort of astringent green taste the second flush has what the, the muscatel yeah. the sort of earthier brown taste in fact i was just drinking a second flush before we started yes um, but i'm i'm a first flush guy all the way first flush is kind of like it's too light for me too green yeah uh, okay. I'm, I'm more of a dark Second flush. Okay. There's a All right. Well, we'll skip this because Doug's looking bored. Doug drinks coffee. Yes. But we'll be back to the next flush <laughs> after this. <laughs> okay. So, so good. I, I want to I mention an abbreviation that's caused a lot of discussion on audiophile style. And what is the current state of MQA? Oh, boy. Uh, yes. That is the, there's, you know, one thread MQA is vaporware. It is the thread that keeps on giving. Um, <laughs> you know, you think it's going away, but it just comes back. <laughs> the current status of MQA is pretty much the same as it's been for a while. Um, if you look at the facts and the data behind it, it's not... Chris is trying to find the right word being polite here. Chris is yeah. being polite. It's not what it's... It's not what it's claiming to be. Would that be a way of saying it? I would say yes. That's 100% true. And if you ask any engineer that's doesn't work for MQA. Uh, does the science hold up? Can you, you know, do the math and have it work? And they all say, no, I can't. So I've asked everybody in the industry, people who are, you know, under NDA with MQA, they all talk off the record. And MQA for them is all a checkbox on the spec sheet because somebody might want it. That's why it's in their product. I am seeing it a lot. You know, I, I read um, Stereophile, the digital edition every month, and I do see new products for listing MQA. And I don't know, it doesn't... So so you were saying high-res is plateaued. If MQA isn't going anywhere, ha have we gotten to a point where people are actually going to be satisfied by the quality of the audio that they're listening to? And I don't mean the, the reproduction, I mean the actual source audio. Yeah, so when you say people, audiophiles are never going to be satisfied. <laughs> the general public is already satisfied. Yeah. So I, I think we're in a state of, you know, it's... It is what it is. It's never going to change. Audiophiles always want more. But, yeah. you know, for the most part, I would say most audiophiles are pretty happy with what we're getting now. 
It's from Kobaz. It's really cool. Oh, or as they would say in France, Kobuz. Yes, yes. I, I had a subscription to Kobuz, I guess, back in 2012 in France, and, and I did like it, like it. Then I moved to the UK and, and I dropped it. It is a good service. They've got lots of um, liner notes. They have a good selection of stuff. Back then, I don't know if this is still the case, there were certain labels that didn't stream, like Harmonia Mundi, for example. I, I think they might have changed that. Worth pointing out that they kind of went bankrupt, got rebought or rebuilt, or so it's not even the same people who, who originally started the service. Yeah, so it's not the same money that started the service, but the people there, one thing to, to know about Kobas is that it's a service founded and run by people who love music. It's not founded by techies. Not that there's a good or bad with that, but there's a big difference in what you see when you open the app yeah. And when you read about the music, it's a really good experience. And it's one that I just love. I haven't used Tidal in a long time. I was going to say, you're talking about Kobuz now, and you used to be talking about Tidal all the time. It would be every three sentences you would kind of stick Tidal in someplace. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, because it's lossless. The, I think the only time I listened to Tidal in the last, well, since Kobuz launched, is I had to get Hole's Celebrity Skin album, and I couldn't find it on Kobuz. So... You know, I went and to who hasn't had that feeling? Oh, yeah, you know, right? I love the track Malibu. I just love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great record. Yeah. Actually, I, I wish Kobuz would realize that they are not native English speakers, and that it would help them in their ads and their copy to have native English speakers. And I say this as someone who worked in France as a translator, who worked editing for French people, who think, "Oh, I took six years of English. I can do very good English." And not nothing. I don't mean to insult them, but this is a typical French attitude that thinks that they know the language. And I get their ads on Facebook that sometimes make me laugh the way that the wording is. So if anyone from Kobuz is listening, drop me a line. I can give you a hand. I'll, s I'll send the podcast to uh, the people from Kobuz that I know. Okay. They're really nice people, by the way. I, I do like the service. I don't use it currently, but I like the idea back when they started. I liked what they were doing. They were really way ahead. And it's kind of a shame they didn't get better traction in the market outside of France and Europe back then because – they wouldn't have had that many competitors. Tidal probably never would have gone anyplace if Kobuz had been in the States a couple of years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so hardware. What are the trends in hardware? It's hard to reinvent the stereo system. You've got an amplifier, you've got speakers, you've got a turntable, a CD player, whatever. Is there anything new? I, I mean, streaming devices, streamers, they've been around for a few years now. Are we seeing anything new in hardware? So what we're seeing new... And in the high end is the middle is disappearing. People are coming out with larger and larger and larger speakers and amplifiers that are heavier and heavier and more expensive. And the other end is how do we make this smaller? How do we make this fit into somebody's life better? So it's kind of this separation. And, you know, I hate to say it's kind of like the U.S., the disappearing middle class. There's a disappearing middle zone, it seems like, in hi-fi. Um, so yes, there like there's a new amp from a company called Playback Designs. I took pictures of it, and in one of the pictures, you can see my feet, and I look like a child. I mean, this thing is so big. I mean, it's monstrous. Um, you know, the new Diagostino Relentless amp is gigantic. I saw that at Munich last year. Um, so that's just kind of that's that's a trend. Um, there was a well, lot. You know, you, you talk about going small, and Kirk just bought a, a Sonos amp, which is incredibly small and powerful. We did a show on, on that. Yeah. Yes, yes. You know, and I think a lot of the manufacturers who 
I hesitate to say get it, but I'll, I'll say a lot of the manufacturers who really get it have invested heavily in software platforms and all-in-one devices and how do we get our software platform integrated within our speakers and, you know, all kinds of things like that. Like that. Um, it seems so old school considering like the BMW Zeppelin came out, you know, how long ago, yeah. but hi-fi companies, you know, are finally doing it so you can get really good sound. Like the NAD and Blue Sound platform and Dolly speakers all in the same company, that's one heck of a platform. I, I think it was last time you were on the show, you talked about DIN Audio with those speakers that they were making. Are we seeing more of these standalone, high quality, but not overly expensive speakers, particularly that don't need to be plugged in? No. Oh, why not? Yeah, I I don't know why not. I talked to a couple of companies in Munich about this, and some of them gave me kind of the cop-out answer as, well, we're not a speaker company, or we're not an amp company. And I'm like, well, you better figure it out. Yeah. You know? it's, because it's, consumers are getting used to the idea of a single self-contained unit. Even if it's an Amazon Echo that doesn't sound good, it's that idea of a single unit. And imagine someone who's got an Echo and wants to upgrade to something better and then to the next level, the idea of the home stereo with separates is something that a new, that a certain generation is just not used to like we were. Absolutely. And I'm telling manufacturers every time I talk to them, like, you need to provide an entry point. If you want to continue to sell the separates, which are great, somebody's got to start with an all-in-one, whether that's in their dorm or, you know, after they're done with college, say they spent $2,000 on an all-in-one. That's really nice. Okay, what's next after that? That's then they can step up. It's tough to go right into ten thousand dollar speakers and ten thousand dollar amps, you know. So it's giving somebody a starting point, and for people that never want separates, give them something that's really high quality. And that market is just ripe for the taking, and a lot of hi-fi companies just aren't doing it. Yeah, when, when we talked about my um, Sonos amp, I wanted to essentially minimalize my office and get rid of the big amplifier I had, just reduce a lot of things. And I actually bought this local. It's the first tech device I've bought local in a long time because Sonos doesn't have any place where you can get discounts. So I went to a, a shop in Stratford that sells mid to high-end audio and talked to the guy there. He was really bullish about these Kef uh, wireless speakers. Unfortunately, they weren't selling them because Kef wanted them to take too many units that they weren't able to move. But he said they really sound great. And I like that idea of like totally wireless speakers to get to even just get rid of the amplifier. And rather than it being a, a single standalone, you still get stereo separation and two speakers. How are the KEFs? I'm sure you've heard them. And does anyone else make these this kind of speaker? The KEFs are fabulous. KEF is a true engineering company, make fabulous speakers. Um, and the lower prices they keep hitting are awesome. And... That's, yeah, that's one company that when friends ask, you know, what should I get? It's if you can find Kef, get Kef. But, you know, they're just, they're not everywhere. Like if I say Sonos, people will know right where to go get it. Um, you say Kef, they're like, what? But it, those are awesome. I don't see, you would think, you know, more companies like Focal makes their own drivers, makes everything in that speaker, has all the technology. And I believe they're also owned by the same company that owns Name. You would think more would be coming from them. Um, perhaps it is, and it's just not there yet. I, I love my focal chorus speakers. I bought them back in France. 
I remember going into a stereo shop in the town I was living in and took a couple hours sampling different speakers, and they were the ones that were the most neutral that I could find. And I love them. They're great speakers. Yeah, they are terrific, which reminds me, I should bring up the, so I believe it's Focal's 40th anniversary. Uh-oh, this is going to be something the price of a Rolls Royce. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, the, the, they came out with two new finishes for the speakers. They're. For the big ones. Yes. Yeah. They've always just had colors. Yep. And now they have a wood finish. There's. It's it's spelled Neuer, N-O-Y-E-R, probably pronounced. Noyer. Yeah, probably pronounced like that. Walnut. So there's Noyer Naturel and Noyer. Noyer. Try it. Noyer. 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 To go with Noyer. That's what we'd say in my neck of the woods. Chris Konica recommends Noyer. Noyer Naturel and Noyer Fonce, F-O-N-C-E. <laughs> Dark. Two absolutely stunning finishes for Focal. Were those the speakers that you posted on Twitter where you actually walked around to show the Oh yes. That is the one, right? Because I when when you posted that, I said first you showed a a picture of it and it was pretty shiny and pretty nice looking and you <laughs> said wait a minute. And you yes. walked around the speaker and it's a really beautiful piece of furniture. I mean, it's really luscious. Are these the Utopias? Yes, it's the yeah. Utopia series. It is. It's I think they look just stunning. Yeah. And in person, they look even better. It, it's cool. Um, so, yeah, Focal, incredi incredible company. Really good they're, stuff. They're something like $50,000 a pair, aren't they? Yeah. And <laughs> <Okay>. up. <laughs> yeah. They're fun to look at, though. Fun to look at, fun to listen to. Exactly. But who doesn't want a pair of Focal Utopia in Noyer Francais? Hey, I'm with you. I couldn't pronounce it, but I think if I place the order, I could get it. <laughs> okay. What about headphones? Headphones are really, really hot these days. What are the latest trends in headphones? Oh, yes. There is not a new company, but a newer company called Warwick Acoustics, or Warwick Acoustics, if you're in the UK. Warwick, yes. I live in Warwick. Ah, yes. By Cadbury. Are they local? Yes and no. Uh, okay, that's not helpful. Well, mainly in <laughs> Warwick, but they have people in the U.S. and a couple other countries uh, who work for them, like the CTO, I think, is in Silicon Valley. Um, and the products, I believe, are made there in Warwick. And maybe Final Assembly in the U.S. They made the Henley and Arden. Yeah. Henley and Arden is a little town not far from us. So a here. cool side note about them is they do electrostat electrostatic speakers for cars. Really? Really high-end stuff. But the headphone that they just came out with, it's a headphone system called Aperio. And... It totally blew me away. I heard it at the Expona show in Chicago, and it was formally shown in Munich for the first time. It sounds so awesome. If you've never heard electrostatic headphones, I highly recommend people at least get a listen to them because it's really a cool experience. How are electrostatic headphones different? Oh, very different. So it's a – do you know how electrostats work? No. I'm assuming you do. No. Okay. It's a small, really, really thin, almost lighter than air transducer that gets excited by the electricity and moves. So it's extremely fast. Like when you think of moving a dynamic driver and a big magnet in the back, you're moving like paper or Kevlar. You're moving something very heavy comparatively to this. It's almost lighter than air um, piece. So 
the sound of electrostatic headphones stacks is typically the 800 pound gorilla these are amazing the price is also amazing but they are so awesome so aperio is twenty four thousand dollars it comes with the dac and the amp and all of that as a package it comes in a pelican case it's really cool they have a cheaper ver cheaper model which i believe is called the sonoma i think it's around five thousand so much cheaper still way more than anybody i know is going to spend when i say i know i mean civilians but this this company really makes good stuff this aperio is it's over the top great other than that also making a big push into headphone systems is dcs and they not are they're not producing the headphone but their dac the bartok has a headphone output that's getting a lot of rave reviews a headphone output meaning a specific headphone amplifier in the dac absolutely yes it's really cool to see that um they're doing it they're doing it right they're not just going after the headphone market as oh here's a bunch of people that we can make money from they're like an honest company really going how can we do headphones our way and they're finally doing it it's pretty cool okay what else what's surround audio doing these days when i think about the sonos amp that i got so you can connect this to a tv uh, you got your front speakers. You can have your two Sonos ones in the back surround. So you're getting close to wireless. I mean, you still have to be plugged into power. But I still don't want the hassle with surround sound. I did get that cheap Sonos Beam sound bar, which is better than cheap. And it really sounds good. And I think what they're doing in faux surround sound sound bars is a lot more interesting than actual surround audio. But in the audiophile market, are we seeing... Is is surround like 5.1 audio on SACD still a thing, or is that going away? Uh, it's still a thing in that there's people who are big fans of it. And, you know, maybe once every five years, somebody will come out with a piece of hardware that supports it. But, it's you know, not that for much all of intents and purposes, yeah. yeah, it's not that much of a thing. Uh, I see surround as going to all DSP. Yeah. How do we make it sound like surround? Digital because, signal processing, faux surround sound. Yeah. Nobody wants speakers behind them on the ceiling at most systems for listening to music. Yeah. They just don't. And most people don't have the space for it anyway. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else that's trending that we wouldn't even think of? Um, Let me see. You know, I was going over my pictures from the show. One thing that I was really pleased about was I took Uber everywhere, and in a couple of the cars... They had the Burmester audio system. Talk about awesome. So Burmester is a really hi-fi company. When I say really hi-fi, meaning it's it's really high-end stuff. The fit and finish is stunning. The sound is really good. And they do systems for Mercedes. And you rarely see them. I think these are the first ones I actually saw in the wild. They've been out for a long time, but I just haven't. But it's cool to go hop in an Uber and see a Burmester audio system. Really cool. Um, another, so if you want, want to talk about stratospheric prices, the company named TechDOS came out with their Air Force Zero turntable. And it comes in at about $400,000. Wow. <laughs> For that price, you hire the Rolling Stones to come play in your living room. I mean, seriously. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, I, I went there after the show as they were disassembling it, and I took a little video, and it's like, wow. I mean, this is 
it's cool. It's really cool. And from what I've heard, it, nothing sounds like it. It sounds better than everything else, as it should. Until something else comes along that sounds better than that. And... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a hard time believing somebody's going to do that anytime soon. But, you know, um, I've heard great things about it. Do any of the more consumer-facing companies show up at this high-end audio? I mean, would you get Sonos or Beats headphones or anything like that? This year, Samsung was there with TVs. That was interesting. Um, more desktop stuff, too. Sennheiser's always got a presence. Companies like that. No Beats. I didn't see Sonos. The, so the main show floor... It's kind of like a typical trade show floor. Everybody's got like a booth or a stand. And there, I mean, there's companies selling everything from 10 bucks to $100,000. So, you know, there's there's more consumer-facing companies there, but not, not like Sonos, you know, stuff like that. Okay. All right, Chris, this has been enlightening as usual. I do find it interesting that audio quality has kind of plateaued for most people. But they're going to need to find something else to look for, to look for improvements in soon. I don't know what it'll be, but yes, who knows. Yes. Chris, thanks again for joining us, and I hope we'll have you on the show again soon. It's always great. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. I love it. Hope to see you soon. It is now time to uh, pick what we're going to be listening to. We call it our next tracks. Kirk, what have you got? Funny how we call it our next tracks, isn't it? I guess that's just a coincidence. It's hard to say. I, I, I'm beginning to think we ought to change the name of the whole shebang. Yeah, okay. Well, sometimes I pick something as my next track because I've been listening to lately and I plan to listen to it more. This week I've got something I haven't listened to yet and I'm looking forward to. This showed up in the new releases section of Apple Music. It is called the Official Bootleg Series Volume 3. The Ford Auditorium, Detroit, March 1977, and the Regent Theater, Sydney, February 1982 by Tangerine Dream. I think I picked a Tangerine Dream album some months or years ago as an extract. It was a live album recorded in the U.S. in 1977, and I attended one of the concerts in New York at Avery Fisher Hall, which is one of the four tracks on the record. It was a two LP set, and the tracks were about 20 minutes long. So... I always like this old Tangerine Dream stuff. And, you know, as as Electronica goes, they did improvise a lot and their performances were different. So I saw this and I, just the idea of listening to a, some Tangerine Dream from 77 back when I saw them seemed attractive. There's, as I said, there's two shows, one from 77, which is short, and the other from 1982. It's about three hours, 22 minutes altogether. So it's like the first disc is the 77 and the other two discs from 1982. I don't know anything about it, but I'm going to listen to that this week. Have you been noticing on Apple Music that you're seeing a lot more of these sort of bootleg compilation albums? You can tell them because their artwork is pretty bland. It's, it's almost like someone put it together with, in Photoshop half an hour ago. And is that what this sort of stuff is? And what do you think all that stuff is? Is somebody like suddenly has the rights to these recordings and is making them available. I've seen them for everybody, not just Tangerine Dream, but I mean dozens and dozens of artists. Well, this says this is called the official bootleg series. Presumably, it's kind of like Bob Dylan's bootleg series, right, where he releases old live recordings and unreleased tracks like the Dead's live recordings. So I I do think it's official. I know what you're talking about. Sometimes I look on Amazon and I see tons of Dylan Dead bootlegs, Zappa bootlegs, 
that are clearly bootlegs, the kind of recordings that, you know, we used to buy as bootlegs. I've been seeing, like, a lot of these live recordings, and I'm wondering if the artists actually don't have the rights to them and somebody else does, and they're making them available. It just, it just seems like recently that's what's been happening. I, I just don't know. Well, if people have an air check of an FM broadcast, the rights over here in the UK, I think there's a certain time limit as to how long it can be copyrighted. And I think they're easier to exploit here in the UK and in Europe than they are in the US. So those things are all going to be FM broadcast. They're not going to be soundboard tapes that someone copied. You know, that's the sort of thing that they sound like. That's exactly what they yep. sound like, radio broadcasts. You used to listen to those all the time. So very familiar with that sound. Yeah. Yep. Okay. What about you? What have you got this week? I've mentioned a, a few times in the past that one of my favorite genres is alt-country. I've always kind of liked country music. I mean, it was always around when I was a kid, but, I, I, you know, it wasn't... When I went to Strawberries Records and Tapes, I didn't buy country music. Later on, though, uh, I became much more interested in it. And one of the first bands that I ever heard that really blew me away, well, here, here's how I first heard them. A, a radio station I worked at used to run the syndicated Don Imus program. Now, I don't know if you know much about Don Imus, but he had a talk show every morning out of New York City. Very rarely had music on, but this one time he did have a band on, and they did this great version of Hank Williams' Setting the Woods on Fire, which is one of my favorite songs. It's a great song, great Hank Williams song. And they did a really hot version of it. And I said, who is this band? Well, the name of the band was BR549. BR549 is a license plate. And uh, it kind of characterizes the sort of music that they do. You can imagine this BR549 rusted license plate on a rickety old uh, pickup truck. As I said, they do incredible old-timey retro honky-tonk alt country and it's just delightful listening to a lot of their stuff i was originally going to recommend a, a little ep called bonus beats but i couldn't find it on apple music but what is available is the best of br549 and it's got a few cuts from bonus beats but the whole record is really a great sampler of, of their stuff they originally started out doing old-timey uh, swing sort of stuff, as I've been talking about. Later, they tried to be a little bit more contemporary. So there's like two phases of the band. There's the early part and the later part. Uh, this kind of covers uh, a, a bit of both. If you haven't explored country music or alt-country music, and you're looking for a way to maybe uh, get a taste of it, I highly recommend this one. BR549, the best of BR549, and it's subtitled, It Ain't Bad for Work If You Gotta Have a Job. And it's my next track. This was episode number 151 of The Next Track. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Chris Conacher. Your comments on our podcast are welcome. You can start or join a conversation on this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. If you like the show, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can't leave a review, recommend us to a few friends. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.